0: time now for our Philippians 1-6 testimony. I'm going to ask Ms. Erica Overstreet if she would come forward. This is an opportunity for us to let you get to know our church people a little bit better, but also uh, an opportunity for, for us to talk about how Jesus has worked in our lives. And Erica, thank you for being willing to do this today. This Bible verse, Philippians 1-6, says that I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a great verse for us, very encouraging to the church. I can only imagine that as that church in Philippi received the letter, they thought, Amen, we are a work in progress. We are not what we're going to be when we get to heaven. We are being made more like Jesus as we speak, uh, yet we're not what we used to be. We know that God is working in our lives. And so we want to give testimony to that today, and Erica has come, and thank you for being willing to do that. Erica, let me ask you first, how did you come to know Jesus
1: Um, I wasn't raised in a church Um, I was 23 years old I had been married for a year and um, we had moved three times in that first year Uh, during that time I had become pregnant and then um, lost a child um, and miscarried so I got depressed I got really anxious and um, we moved across the street from a church so I told Brad I wanted to go we went that first night I surrendered my life to
0: Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. Um, it's different for everybody, right? And the very first time she went to church and she heard the gospel, Jesus changed her life. And we praise God for that. It works that way sometimes. Uh, I want you to also to hear, and we're, we're sorry to hear that, that it was through deep pain and, and hurt, through a miscarriage, that, that Erica came to a low point in her life and started seeking the Lord. So we praise God, as hard as that is, for the storms and for the trials, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, since then, you have been a Christian and a follower of Jesus. As you look back to that moment, since then, what what was a time or a season where God grew you?
1: Well, about a year later, um, Brad and I tried again, and I became pregnant. And um, I got to the beginning of the second trimester, and I again miscarried. Mm. And... um, we just couldn't understand what was happening to us. Um, it actually brought Brad and I a lot closer. Um, it brought us closer to God. We began praying together. And instead of asking why, we decided to wait and just see what God's plan was for us instead of us trying to push that plan. Mm. So, wow. We grew closer together through right the yeah. heartache.
0: Yeah. Wow. So a second, a second miscarriage that God used to now grow their family closer together there is, there is growth outside of numerical growth, and we praise God for that.
1: Oh, hold on. A year after that, I had Abby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> praise God. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering where she fit in this story. <laughs> there she is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, well, praise God for that. So, again, there's, there's been some heartache and some, some struggle, and, um, you know, I want to commend you for that Brad I did not know any of that but as a husband knowing that when our wives are upset it's hard and most of the time husbands struggle with that and distance kind of cr- comes when there's tension in the home and I encourage you Brad for not allowing it to grow further apart but closer together and I praise God for that that's a good husband so let me ask you now okay you're you're, you're past all that praise the Lord by his grace how is God growing you now
1: um about 8 months ago um i felt god was moving me from a job i had been at for 10 years i was very comfortable um and it wasn't a job that i was seeking it actually sought me out um i have moved um to that position and there's just been a lot of change in my <laughs> life i'm very learning to be very humble um i'm learning that god puts us where he wants us it's not always a choice that we have for ourselves. we might have an idea in our head but we don't it does not always come to play like that so just learning to be humble and stay where i am but it's a blessing because there are people there that bless me and i get to share my faith openly with a lot of people
0: yeah Hmm. so god's using your workplace to to grow you right Mm -hmm. And this in this very very thought that we're using you see that he is working in you even now Um, we praise god for that well thank you thanks for being willing to share your testimony church please join me as i pray for erica Father in heaven, thank you for Erica Overstreet. God, thank you that you saved her that day a few years ago when at a low point in her life, by her own words, uh, depressed, she said, I need to go to church. And through that, God, I don't know who the preacher was that day, but through his faithful preaching of the Savior Jesus, Erica heard about you And you saved her and changed her life. God, I thank you for that. And now, God, through ups and downs and through hardships, she knows that it's your will and your plan and that she can trust you through it. Lord, I pray that you would continue to keep her right there and that you would grow her through all of this. God, I pray that you would make us a good church to her. And God, I thank you for her her openness and for her honesty with us. And I pray, God, that we would, we would bless her as she has blessed us here today. God, I thank you that we have the promise that you are working in her life and you will finish what you started. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Erica. Thanks. All right. Let's turn in the Bible now to Mark chapter 8, page 927. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible there. 927, Mark chapter 8. We're moving right along. And I'm going to look at a small passage today that if you were to just read these verses, then you would think, well, there's really not that much there. We know by now that Jesus is a miracle worker. We know by now that, that he is changing people's lives and even healing people, but... This passage just just seems to be a little bit ordinary, but as I hope to do today, I'm going to show you what Mark is doing with this passage and, and, and specifically where he's placed it to get us to see this great need to understand spiritual eyesight. That you would understand how to look at life, that you would see the world through God's great plan, God's great providence, His sovereign power, His love for you, His taking care of you, that you would understand life through that. Our struggle in life comes from our inability to think of life the way God wants us to, instead, thinking of it the way we think we should think of it. That's not right. The Bible warns us over and over again that we would not view life the way we think we should view life. That is wrong, and that is dangerous. We're to view life through God's eyes, and we are by faith to trust that. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And so today, what we're going to see in this passage is... We're going to look at eyesight, right? In the bulletin, I put twenty twenty eyesight on, on life, and, and we're going to look at eyesight, looking at how our eyes are working and how we need to be able to see well, and if we can't see well, then this is a problem, those type of things, and yet, I want to see that what Mark is doing is he's getting you to understand something as simple as your eyesight, and then he's really wanting you to understand that for your life. Okay? This isn't a stretch so much that I'm trying to make happen, but rather I think this is really what God is doing in His Word, getting you to look at your vision as a, as a metaphor or an analogy for your life. When we go on long car rides... I've taught our boys to play this this game that you may have played before on a road trip, like the, the alphabet game, right, where you do the ABCs and you look for a, a word. You, you say, like, I see an A in McDonald's and I see a, a B in Burger King and I see a C in White Castle. Y'all know that game, right? And you try to make it all the way through the alphabet and the kids, the kids love, love this game and the first person to get to through the alphabet, and there's all types of rules. If it's behind you, you can't use that word. And if somebody's already used that word, you can't use that word. And we love playing that game, and it's, it's, it's really, really fun. And I'm usually focused on driving, and so I don't get to play with them, but um, every once in a while, we'll, we'll play. And I, uh, I love to, like, assume that at the next exit, there's a McDonald's. And so I'll say, I got to A, a McDonald's, and I say, well, where is it? And I say, well, I can see it. It's, it's way down there. You just can't see it yet. And they'll say, well, no, no, I can't see it. I said, well, my eyesight's better than yours. You just can't, you just can't see it yet. It's, it's coming, right? Or exit, right? If I need an E, I can always get them with an exit. No, I see it. It's way down there. And they'll say, no. I said, well, maybe my eyesight's better than yours, right? And that's an interesting thought because our eyesight is different from person to person right have you ever been to the doctor and have to look at the thing and read the e and uh whatever it is beyond that right and some of us can go all the way down the thing in 2020 and now i hear that maybe 2015 is even better than 2020 I, i i've often heard people say the doctor says i've got better than 2020 and i was always taught growing up i still don't know whether it's true but i need to eat carrots to help my eyesight get better You know, we do have issues with our eyes. I did a little bit of research. According to the Vision Council of America, listen to this, approximately 75% of all adults use some sort of vision correction. 75%, three quarters, three out of every four use something on their eyes. About 64% of all adults wear glasses. And another 11% wear contact lenses only. This doesn't factor into all the people now who have had LASIK surgery and no longer wear anything because they've had a procedure to to have it fixed. Over half of all women wear glasses. 42% of men wear glasses. 18% 18% of women wear contacts, 14% of men wear contacts out of, that, out of those percentages. Three quarters of people have issues with their eyes. You've probably been to the eye doctor before. Well, seeing those numbers got me thinking about, well, it's, it's, it's different for people who are in a different socioeconomic position, Right? So I started looking a little bit further. The World Health Organization estimates, listen to this, that over 600 million people in the world are vision impaired. 600 million, sorry, in the developing world are vision impaired. These are people who need help, but they don't necessarily have it. I remember when I traveled to Ethiopia on a mission trip years ago, I was taken back at how poor they were there. At the time, that was 2002, I was told that Ethiopia was the poorest country in the world. I do believe that Haiti has now passed it. It's usually Ethiopia and Haiti that are in the top poorest countries in the world. And there, people live off so little. You know there are nearly 7 billion people in the world and listen to this, 1.2 billion people, you know, there are roughly 300, 350 million in the USA, so we're talking four or five times that many. 1.2 billion people in the world live on less than $1 a day. $1 a day. And every day is a struggle to access basic necessities, a struggle that is magnified when one cannot see well. Well, of the 1.2 billion people in the world that live off less than a dollar a day are vision impaired. So we're talking about people who are struggling financially and on top of that, they cannot see. The average North American pays $350 for prescription eyeglasses. And we're talking about 60% of 1.2 billion, 600 million people who live off a dollar a day. All of that is to say that we have sight problems in the world, do we not? We do. We have problems with seeing. The world does. We do. 75% of people are wearing some sort of help on their eyes. And while that is a huge number, there's something more problematic than that. 100% of all people, 100%, every single last one, fails to see God properly. Every single one of you struggle with your Spiritual vision. It's not good. You go to the doctor, he says, Tell me what you can see, and you can't go very far. You're calling an E, an H. And the doctor says, We're going to have to give you some assistance. Spiritually speaking, you need to come to that point where you will admit that your eyesight, spiritually speaking, your outlook on life, your understanding of God, your vision of God, your ability to see the truth of God well and clear through as He has said it instead of how you have determined it. And humble yourself and seek better vision. Spiritual eyesight. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, Mark wants us to get this. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 8, beginning of verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. I want to give you three thoughts today on 2020 eyesight on life Number one, the need for good vision, the need for good vision. number two, the problem with partial vision, the problem with partial vision. and number three, the ability to see clearly. The need for good vision, the problem with partial vision and number three, the ability to see clearly. As I've opened. There is such a need for good vision. People who cannot see well long to see well. People who do not understand God need to see God. In this passage, Jesus has now come to Bethsaida... And some people are bringing to him a man who is blind and begged him to touch him. The people knew that this man could really, really, really improve his life, could benefit so greatly if he would be able to see. Now, they've always known that, but they've never had a means to being able to make that happen, right? But now this Jesus man, this God man has come on the scene and it's changed things. If people can get to Jesus, if people can experience God, then, then their lives could be changed forever. And so we see this type of wild scene, this scenario, if you will, where people are carrying people to Jesus, wanting him to heal them. We've seen this already. Turn back a page to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 31, very, very, very similar passage. And this is what I'm saying. Mark is doing this strategically here in chapter 8. Chapter 7, verse 31 says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they, they brought to him, very same thing, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, same thing, took him aside, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, same thing, he spit, Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened." and his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. People are learning that in their <clears throat> desperation, in their dire need, in their longing for something better, in this passage, uh, being able to see, they, they, they need something. They, ne- they need help, and they've learned that it's Jesus. I want you to see here that this man needs to see. He cannot see, and he needs to see. Turn over the other direction to chapter 10, verse 46. This is the last passage before they move into Jerusalem. If you look at chapter 11, verse 1, it says now when they drew near to Jerusalem. So they, Jesus is now about to enter the city, as you know, will cause him to be crucified. But here we are at chapter 10, verse 46. And Mark again is doing this strategically, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great cow, Bartimaeus, that's the guy, a blind beggar, you might call him blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. In other words, Jesus, I want to see better. I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. When somebody cannot see, their need is to be able to see. The statistics I gave you at the beginning are showing that many of us in the world today are that way, physically speaking. As I look out right now, I see so many pairs of eyeglasses. The statistics seem to be accurate according to our congregation. But I want to show you that what Mark is doing here is Mark is showing you that while Jesus can do the miraculous and fix somebody's physical eyesight, what is even much more important and what is more significant is that all of us need him to do that to us spiritually and he can do it to us spiritually as well. Let me show you this. Go back up just a few verses to chapter 8, verse 18. This is the passage I preached last week where Jesus has now for a second time fed thousands with food when there was no food. He fed the 5,000 when there wasn't any bread or, or fish for them. All he had was five loaves and two fish. And here he feeds the 4,000, a totally different scene, different scenario, different setting, and he does it again. And the one thing that the disciples need to know is that if there is no bread or fish, Jesus has the ability to still feed the people, and we all know that. Well, as soon as he did that, they get back in the boat, and they're traveling back across, and they're hungry again, and the disciples had forgotten bread. And so it gives us this interesting scenario of, let's see how they're going to respond. And look at verse 18. Sorry, verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And look at now, verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? He's not talking about physical eyesight, he's not asking them if they've been to the eye doctor or if their, if their eyeglasses are working. Jesus is asking them, do you not understand life? That to be in the presence of God and have a relationship with God should cause you to understand that God is in control and if you will trust Him and follow Him, it's all good? Do you not understand this? Are you worried again about bread and having enough to eat after you've seen me do this so many times? Even more specifically, his warning, as you remember me saying last week, was to the leaven of the Pharisees. The bad, false teaching about what is right religion and what it means to have a relationship with God and how the Pharisees are wrong. And they didn't understand that. And he doesn't understand their warning. Remember, he had told them that they are wrong and shameful for being more concerned about uh, washing their hands than they are about the, 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 the cleaning of their hearts. Do you not understand this, he says? And in asking them if they understand, he says, do you have eyes but you don't see? If you look down to verse 21, he asks them frankly, do you not yet understand? Folks, there is a need in your life and a need in our world for people to have good vision." Spiritually speaking. And that vision does not come naturally. That vision does not come from, from having good parents. That vision comes from God changing your heart, you becoming a follow, follower of Jesus, walking by faith, and God giving you eyes to see. Now this is the very crux of the message today. Do you believe what I am telling you that this is the problem? And that's why we read 2 Corinthians 4. And I want you to turn back there, please. I know it's kind of hard in a sermon to turn so much. But I want you to see this 2 Corinthians 4 that we read, that Josh Womble read just a few minutes ago. I'm talking about the need for good vision. People don't see God. They don't understand God. They don't don't understand life because they don't understand God. If you don't understand God, you cannot understand the things of life. That's why we see financial trouble all over the place because we don't understand what God wants us to understand about finances. This is why we see sexual trouble all over the place, because we will not think about sex the way God wants us to. And I'm telling you that if you don't understand sex the way God wants you to, then sex is going to continue to be a huge, huge, huge issue. And so forth and so forth. Maybe you're having trouble with friendships, because you don't look at friendship the way God tells you to. Maybe you're having trouble with offenses and being able to forgive people. because you don't look at being offended and forgiveness the way God wants you to. Maybe you have a problem with your work ethic and your laziness. Maybe you make excuses instead of getting the job done. And it's because we don't look at it the way God wants us to. See, we have a problem with seeing life the way God wants us to see life. Our problem is not so much our eyes as it is our heart. 2 Corinthians 4 makes this crystal clear. Read with me, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts. Christians are not those that give up. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, meaning even if the truth of Jesus as Savior is hidden, even if people cannot see it, that's what he means. Listen, even if they cannot see it, it is veiled to those who are dying, perishing. Listen to this. Why? Those who are dying in their sins, perishing without God, are the ones who cannot see the truth. Why, though? Look at verse 4. In their case, The God, lowercase g, that's Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ who is the image of God. Does everybody see that? The reason why people all over the place are not looking at life the way God wants them to look at life, whether it was any of those scenarios I just gave you, the reason why they fail to see life the way they should see life is because Satan has blinded the way they see life. He's blinded them. He's blinded their minds. And he has kept them from seeing the light. And God. And Jesus. Jesus and the glory of God, and the good news. Some of you may have never heard this before. You knew that we were sinners, but you never put two and two together to understand that being a sinner means you don't understand life. And some of y'all are so very frustrated at life, and you're claiming to be a Christian, and perhaps you are a Christian, but you're so frustrated at your lives. And it's because you don't see life the way God wants you to. You haven't read your Bible enough to know what I just read. You haven't... Asked me to help you understand that. You haven't been here enough to hear stuff like this. We need good vision. And we don't have it because Satan has us blinded. At 2 Corinthians 4, if you go ahead to verse 5, it says, What we proclaim is not ourselves. This is why we must preach Jesus. This is why I can't just be a good buddy to you and that make everything better for you. This is why church is just not a place that you come and thinking that just coming here is going to make everything better. It's a step in the process, but you need to know Jesus. You need to bow yourself down to Him. You need to say, He died for my sins. I need to turn from my sins. You need to cry out and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my waywardness. Forgive me for trying to view life with these eyes, knowing that these eyes can't get the job done. Forgive me, God, for thinking that this heart's a good heart that's going to do good enough to get me to heaven when the Bible says, you are blinded by the devil. If you go ahead to verse 6, look what it says. For God says, said, let light shine out of darkness. Okay, and he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In your blinded, dark hearts and minds, in your blinded, dark hearts and minds that are blinded and dark because Satan has you blinded and dark, Jesus comes in his great power and shines light into that darkness. And when he shines light into the darkness of your hearts and your lives, your eyes begin to see. Your life begins to click. You begin to understand that life's about God. Turn back to chapter 8 of Mark. This is why Jesus is asking them, remember I showed you this last week, all of these questions. Look at chapter 8, verse 17 of Mark. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hard? And Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Jump down to verse 21. Do you not yet understand? They have a problem with understanding life. And Jesus is saying the only way for you to understand life is to embrace Jesus for who He is, as the truth, as the answer to your life's problems. There is such a great need for this. 75% of all Americans have needs to wear glasses on their eyes, but 100% of all people, every single one of you, and everybody that you know, has a great need to get sight on life from God. There's a great need for good vision. So much so in this passage that friends are bringing the blind man to Jesus. Do you know how hard it is without a vehicle to take a blind person to somewhere else? You have to hold them the whole time. It says that here. Look at verse 23. And they took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Everybody see that? Hey, we know somebody that can fix your eyes. We know somebody that can make you see. Here, come with me. And they had to hold him the whole way. He probably couldn't go too fast. It's hard to hold hands and run. But they took him there. Why? He had a real need. We must proclaim Jesus. Notice in that 2 Corinthians 4 passage that they said, we proclaim Jesus. When I find passages like that, I'm so encouraged that this is our church's mission statement. We exist to proclaim Jesus because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we proclaim Jesus. And he specifically says, we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus. The need is real. And what happens when we start to recognize that need is that we we settle for a partial answer. And secondly, I want to show you the problem with partial vision. The problem with partial vision. Look what happens, verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Exactly what any doctor would do today, right? Right? Stand over here, put your feet at that line, cover up one eye, tell me what you see. Exactly what Jesus does. And the man answers, I see people. Wow, that'd have been awesome. He'd he'd never done that, he'd never seen people. He saw people. God had given this man sight. Jesus had done a miraculous, it took spit, that sounds gross, it took touching him, it took him stepping away from the public, getting him in private, but Jesus did that and the man sees. it's awesome, right? But those people look like trees, walking. And This is a problem. Because if you've ever saw somebody, or if you've ever seen anybody, you, you know that we don't look like trees. And you also know that trees don't walk. So something's not right here. I see people, they're like trees. They look like trees that are walking. And it's all of a sudden the doctor's going, okay, so something ain't right here. But who's the doctor in this passage that just gave him that blessed sight? Jesus. Jesus is a good savior, but not a good doctor? Why'd he do this? Because Mark is wanting us to see that Jesus wants us to know There is no coming halfway to understanding the truth. There's a problem with partial vision. Proverbs 16.2 says that all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. That means that you folks have a tendency to think that you're doing well. And the Proverbs warn us from that. You have a tendency to justify your flaws and your sins and make excuses for those. And the Proverbs warns us from that. Proverbs 3, 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We have a bend toward thinking that we're good. We have a bend toward thinking that we're right. And the Bible warns, don't do that. If it's evil, stop it. If it's wrong, turn away from it. If it needs to be repented of, repent of It's what the Proverbs say. This idea that you are a follower of Jesus and a child of God, and yet your allegiance and devotion and love and loyalty is to things that are against God is so incredibly wrong. We may not be the prettiest people in the world, but if somebody says you look like a tree, you're going to say, stop it. And living for Jesus is not an easy thing. But it's still wrong for you to claim Christ and love your sins and not want to be a repentant, faithful follower. Partial vision is a problem. As soon as this man expresses that he sees people, but they look like trees and walking, Jesus didn't say, Well, hey, man, it's better than you were. Have a good day. It's better than nothing, right? Would you like to go back to just sitting over there and being blind the rest of your life? Because this is a lot better. And the man could say, Well, you ain't kidding about that. So appreciate it. No, it's completely wrong, this partial vision. Jesus can do anything he wants to do. Why did he allow us to see this partial vision? Because Mark has placed this passage in the midst of spiritual eyesight issues. And he's wanting us to see this. I'm going to show you a bit further. Look what happens. Verse 25. As soon as he said he sees people, they look like trees walking. Verse 25. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's just like that. We knew Jesus could have done this right away. So the question is, why did he do the partial eyesight thing? Because he's trying to teach us that you being a partial Christian, a partial-sighted Christian, is wrong. It's not Christianity. Let me show you. Our very next passage that we're going to look at next week, verse 27, just happens to be the parallel passage from Matthew 16 that Dr. Moeller preached here on Homecoming, if you were here that day. And in this passage, look at chapter 8 verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Wow, Jesus is now asking his followers, who do people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. He asked them, yeah, but but what about you guys? Look at this, verse 29. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's his answer. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Matthew 16 says that Jesus said, you're right. You got it. I am the Savior. Right? Sounds good, doesn't it? We think Peter's awesome for that answer, right? Keep reading with me. Verse 31. And then the Savior, well, let me ask you, let's pause for just a second. How is Jesus the Savior? By dying on the cross for our sins, as the holy God dying for our sins, being buried in the grave, and three days later, rising again to newness of life, victorious to show he is truly God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, unstoppable, and he can do whatever he wants to do. He is the Savior because he has died and rose again for our sins, right? So as soon as he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says he's the Savior, Jesus begins to explain that. Look at verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. As soon as this awesome Jesus, who heals blind men that everybody likes, says, who do y'all say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. That sounds awesome, right? And so Jesus says, that's right, Peter. And so here's what's going to happen. They're going to come after me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to reject me. They're not going to like me. They're going to beat me up. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to wear me out. They're going to mutilate me. And then they're going to kill me, to which the church in 2016 says, amen. To which we just sing songs about the crucifixion. To which we believe wholeheartedly, yes, that is our Savior. The crucified Jesus who died for our sins, who took our place and rose again. That's the only type of Savior there is. That's the only type of Savior that we want. One who died for us. One who paid it all. One who is able to make us right with God based off of His work instead of our work. And so Jesus is explaining that. Verse 32, and he said this plainly. Mark is saying it wasn't confusing. Mark is saying if you had spiritualized to understand salvation, you would have gotten this. If you understand that Jesus is a Savior for your sinful, blinded self, then you would have gotten this. He said it plainly, and Peter, who just called him the Savior, says this. Peter takes him aside. Now, when Jesus was giving out eyesight, what did he do to people? Took them aside. When Peter hears the Savior talking about how he saves, Peter says, let me have a word with you. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. A rebuke is telling somebody they're wrong. Peter is telling the sight giver, you're wrong. Peter's telling the Savior, you talking about dying is wrong. Partial vision, right? He's okay, listen to me. He's okay with Jesus being the Savior. He's not okay with Jesus having to be killed for his sins. That's so many people we know, isn't it? We're okay with this being a Christian church. And Jesus is Lord. But as soon as Jesus starts to explain. That means you're a sinner. And that means your sins crucified me on a cross. And that means I overcame it and I reign. Bow down to me. Then all types of people have got problems. The apostle Peter did. Jesus can I have a word with you. Listen man. I like how you're impacting the world. I love it that people are being fed when they don't have food and blind people are now seeing and deaf people are now. That's awesome, man. You're getting a big following and we see that you are from God. These are clearly the things of God. But all this talk about sin and dying just makes me uncomfortable. We don't want that. Nobody's going to kill you. I'm not going to allow it. In another passage, Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you. Can we not have you as Savior without you as dead for our sins? Can we not have heaven without it being about salvation? Verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus' loyalty as the Savior, he rebuked Peter. He didn't just say, stop it. Look what he said to Peter. Get behind me, Satan the one who just said that Jesus is the Savior in verse 29, Peter, is now being called by the Savior, Satan. Why? Partial vision. He didn't understand. Verse. Look at the second half of verse 33. For you are not setting your mind or seeing on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're not looking at life, Peter, the way God tells you to. You're looking at life, Peter, the way you want to. You're not looking at life, Peter, through God's eyes. You're looking at life, Peter, through man's eyes. Well intended, full of good works, full of love and consideration, yes, but wrong get behind me Satan with that partial vision if I'm the Savior I'm a Savior that dies for wicked sinners and my love poured out my life for you my daughter Lili Liliana my youngest is really at a fun stage she's almost two She's starting to talk a little bit, or trying to, actually. At nighttime, we've had some good moons lately, haven't we? Super moon this past week. So at nighttime, I'll take her outside, or we'll be getting out of the car, and I'll say to her, Where, where's the moon? And she'll look around, and lately the moon's been like you know, this big, you can't miss it. And she'll say, there's the moon. Well, she doesn't say, there's the moon, she'll say, Moon. And I'll say, yeah, that's that's the moon. We'll get excited about seeing it. And so now, every time we're outside in the dark, she's like, there's the moon. And it's been cloudy the past couple nights, so there hasn't been a moon. She just likes the idea of being with her daddy and looking at the moon. Y'all, but she's not seeing the moon. She just likes some of the things that go along with seeing the moon. Tonight, if it's cloudy, which I don't think it's supposed to be, if the moon's not out, I'll take her outside. I'll say, where's the moon? She'll say, there's the moon. There's no moon there. Y'all, this is so bad. Spiritually speaking, when you claim to be follower of Jesus, have a church, but you don't really have an allegiance to him, Partial vision is bad. It was awesome that this guy now was seeing something and seeing people, but he thought they were trees walking around. That's bad. It's awesome that Jesus says, you're the Messiah, but as soon as Jesus starts explaining who the Messiah really is, he's wrong, tries to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. If we want to be a real church. And you, for your family and for your neighbors and for your friends, want to be a real Christian. Turn away from the partial vision. Repent of the partial vision and set your eyes upon Jesus. Commit yourself to the truth. See life the way God wants you to see life. That is the ability to see clearly. Look at Mark chapter 8. Verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Again, Jesus did not want the message spreading, as we've seen many times in Mark. Do not spread the message until Christ has been killed. This man couldn't see. He needed to be able to see. This man could see, but it was blurry. He still needed to be able to see. Jesus gave him 20-20 vision. He saw clearly. And I want to ask you here today, In all honesty, I don't care too much about your eyesight, glasses, contacts, any of that. Spiritually speaking, are you looking at life the way God wants you to? Have you bowed yourself down to being a man or a woman, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, and looking at life the way God wants you to? Do you have 20-20 vision? Or are you still blinded by the God of this world? Are you still saying that the ways of your eyes are pure like the Proverbs say? Are you still thinking that you're wise in your own eyes like the Proverbs warned you against? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that great song is not at all about your physical eyesight. It's about how you understand life. And you understand life when you come to understand Jesus. Let's pray together. Father please give us the ability to see clearly. God, please do the miraculous work in here this morning of shining the light in the darkness of our minds and hearts to which the God of this world has blinded us could be overcome and defeated. And Father, for the people that are in here now who are still struggling to get life, oh Lord, give them Ability to see it. Life's about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.